0: I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all banks Disney, for NPR Illinois Community Voices, and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host today, Craig, joined by one of my co-hosts, Vanessa Ferguson.
1: I thought you were going to say your favorite co-host, but that's fine. Um, You know, Brett doesn't. I don't
0: think Brett (laughs) listens to audio podcasts. So that being said, my favorite, my absolute favorite (laughs) co-host vanessa ferguson Other,
1: other than that brett that we love but hi craig Hi. hi, hi.
0: I'm doing really well. You know, I'm going to I'm excited to talk to this gentleman today because I follow him on social media and I've been thinking about booking him for the show for a long time. His name's Jeff Barnes and he really knows a lot about Disneyland and so I'm excited to get to dive into that a bit more with him. But actually recently he just had a career change. He ended up leaving higher education where he's been for about 20 years or so and now he's going out on his own. He's writing more of his Wisdom of Walt books. And then he's also kind of taking his show on the road virtually. So you can take his Disneyland class that he had offered for credit at his college and you can take that online and you can still kind of experience what those students experienced as well. So I thought it was a really good time, kind of this moment where he's moving into a next phase of his career to grab him and talk to him all about what he's got coming up.
1: Yeah, very cool. You know, I was in the same boat as these college students where uh, I didn't know a ton about Disney history and I had a Brett, but not everybody has a Brett and not everybody has a Craig. So it's nice that we have Jeff to talk to us today, to kind of tell us about his classes and, and share some of his wisdom with us.
0: Yeah, you know, just random. By the way, I've had so many people start. I think people are planning park trips, and people are starting to reach out to me on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever. I and I love that. So, yeah. just so you know, if you're listening and you want to chat Disney or you have a question about Disney, just send me a message because it makes my day yeah. <laughs> to talk anytime, Disney. Anytime,
1: anytime. I hope we have the right answers, but I got one recently too. So it's funny that that you had that as well. It's it's a lot of fun.
0: It is. It's so cool that uh, people are listening and and all of that as well. But I'm excited just to dive right into this conversation with Jeff. You want to just do that?
1: Let's do it.
0: All right. Here it is, our conversation with Jeff Barnes. So excited to welcome to Beyond the Mouse Jeff Barnes today. Jeff, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show
2: Well, good morning, and I am absolutely thrilled to be on here. I say good morning, I have no idea when our listeners are going to be tuning in, but uh, yeah, thrilled to be here today.
0: We have a lot of Midnight uh, Night Owl listeners here, so you might be, you know, I think sometimes our dulcet tones might put people to sleep. So maybe that's what they're doing. They're listening to us as they're going to bed. But, you know, Jeff, I think congratulations are in order first, because uh, much like me, I am an academic advisor in higher ed, and you had worked in higher ed for uh, several decades, I believe, but you have since left California Baptist University. And this is your first semester off in a long time. So I got to ask, how does it feel?
2: Well, first of all, thank you, and I I enjoyed a a 21-and-a-half-year career in higher education, Um, and I was at CBU as Dean of Student Success, Professor of Humanities, and yeah, January is a little different, because I wasn't in the classroom, Um, I wasn't dealing with academic appeals and putting together budgets and performance reviews. And this might be um, the calmest and least chaotic month in my 58 years on this planet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is so great. Yeah. And so I've had to like lean into the idea that this is my new life and new existence and it's okay. But having said all of that, I get asked a lot, hey, how's retirement? I've not retired. In fact, I'm going to steal Walt's words. When uh, he stood up at the Magnolia Room at the Disneyland Hotel for Disneyland's uh, centennial in 1965, we're just getting started. And so the point of leaving the academic career uh, was because the books have been so successful and I have been doing so much speaking, we want to blow all of that up. Uh, We want to speak more. We want to write more. We want to create even more content. And so, uh, you know, January was really an opportunity to sort of pause and reflect and figure out a way uh, to keep moving forward, again, uh, using Walt's words. And so we're working on two books right now. Uh, we booked a number of speaking gigs for 2022. Um recovering from a little accident that I had in Boston over the Christmas holidays. So that was a bit of a distraction. And so again, uh, you know, all of this is about taking the wisdom of Walt, making it bigger, making it better. And in fact, next week, my history of Disneyland class, uh, which I taught at California Baptist university is going to be available online for the very first time. So again, we're not retired. We're just getting started and bringing more content to more people um as you know the world gets even bigger in this online universe
0: you know, as that entrepreneurial spirit, you just gave us all these different projects that you're working on. And we have questions about those later on. But let's dive into them a bit right now up front, because I do want to learn about your history of Disneyland class. And you've talked a bit on other interviews about how that class came to be. But maybe if you can update our listeners on that, and then also how you're moving that now to a virtual or digital platform that anybody, not just students at California Baptist University, but anybody can Uh, now be able to learn from you, Dr. Disneyland himself, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um, thank you, Craig. Uh, So the class started back in 2014. And, you know, of course, uh, you know, part of my story was after giving the first lecture, I was diagnosed with a life-threatening brain tumor. They wanted to operate immediately. I refused, delayed the surgery for two and a half months. Because the class was never about taking students to an amusement park, putting them on a roller coaster and giving them an easy A. It was all about when you have an idea and you want to pursue a dream, you're going to face adversity. You're going to have to overcome obstacles. You're going to have to do what Walt did and pursue this no matter what. And I recognized that I was facing the greatest obstacle, the greatest challenge, the greatest conflict in my life. Because that's what every great story needs, conflict. And I had an opportunity to live that story out in front of my students. And so, again, I refused to have the surgery, not so much that I could teach the class, but so that I could live out that example. And that's really what brought out the first book, The Wisdom of Walt, the following year, And over time, when people found out there was a college course, an accredited course on the history of Disneyland, people were like, oh my gosh, how can I take it? Is it available online? And I would get pestered with that question over and over and over again. Well, when I announced last fall that I was leaving CBU, it was the number one question all over again. And so I just realized this was finally the opportunity To figure out how to make that happen and i think you'll appreciate this you know as an entrepreneur um, you you can't wait to figure out things out and then go sometimes you just have to go and then figure things out and so i announced that uh, we're going to throw this thing up and we're going to make it happen and that's sort of the stage of where we are Uh, the class launches next week Uh, we're using the kajabi platform uh, week one, we're looking at, uh, you know, the opening day broadcast that premiered on ABC television, July seventeenth, 1955, uh, breaking that down with Art Linkletter as the MC, with Bob Cummings and not then yet President Ronald Reagan, and lots of fun facts, lots of pieces of trivia, so if you've never seen it, I think you're going to be fascinated if you've watched it half a dozen times. I guarantee you're going to learn things that you've never known or never seen before. And then moving forward, just breaking the park down, because I see Disneyland as really a reflection and a mirror of who we are as a country, or at least who we think we are or want to be from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. So for example, it's very apparent when you watch that opening day broadcast, everybody who walks into the park, they're white. And they're sort of the perfect family with two and a half kids. There's zero diversity. Uh, In fact, the only diversity is reflected in either a celebrity, i.e. Sammy Davis Jr., or cast as a stereotypical cast member, i.e. Aunt Jemima. But you also have to remember where we are as a country in July of 1955. We're still several months away from Rosa Parks in October of that year, refusing to give up her seat on a bus in montgomery alabama and so again the park is a reflection of who we are as a country or at least who we think we are from the 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s and beyond Mm -hmm. and so that's another reason why i wanted to teach the class not just entrepreneurially but also as a u.s history class
0: Absolutely, and you know we talk about uh, that fifth key being added to the traditions at Walt Disney World and throughout the Disney parks and the Disney Company—that that key of inclusion—and I think you speak to that too. Now, a uh, couple of things there. I just because I follow you on social media, I know that that first class, that first round, uh, really filled up very quickly for this Disneyland class. So it sold out, I, I think, in a matter of days or so, and then do, hours That's awesome. That is so great, yeah. and it speaks to the. Uh, wisdom of Walt books, and the following that you've gathered on social media as well. And through your discussions at corporations and things like that. Um, I do want to bring up just because you had mentioned the tumor, and I don't want you necessarily to have to go into your personal health history here. But my understanding uh, from all that things are in remission. So I lucked out that we were in a a good spot that it was okay that you had that delay uh, in the procedure, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't die. So uh, fortunately, uh, you know, we we had the surgery um, on July 24th and, you know, everything, you know, came out okay. The biggest negative was I couldn't ride my favorite attractions at Disneyland for two years, Uh, but that gave me the time to write the first book. And uh, we got back on our favorite attractions, starting with Space Mountain at 8.05 a.m., on July 24th of 2016. okay, <laughs> And a lot of folks read about that in the first book. So I had a lot of people encouraging me and supporting me on the morning of July 24th, 2016. And then uh, we had a second brain tumor in the summer of 2020. And so uh, I, I know a lot of people look back on 2020 and they're like, man, that year just was not our best year. Uh, you know, because that was the year that COVID showed up. And I know we're still dealing with COVID. You know, mm-hmm. when is that ever going to end? Right. And uh, in the middle of, of, of COVID, uh, I I was diagnosed, in fact, uh, I was diagnosed with the second tumor at Cedar sinai on January 17th, the day that Rise of the Resistance opened at Disneyland. Um, the only difference with this one was, uh, unlike the first tumor, uh, we caught it a lot earlier. And so I was able to schedule it Um, more on my schedule versus, you know, immediately. And so I looked at my speaking schedule and uh, scheduled it for June 4th. And of course, in between COVID hit and we weren't 100% sure whether they were going to allow that surgery to happen because of where we were with the surge and uh, hospitalizations and what have you. But fortunately uh, that, uh, you know, we were able to keep to that date. And uh, the second surgery was a lot smoother and easier than the than the first one. And I had a, a follow up uh, back in September, and my neurosurgeon says everything looks great, and awesome. um, he doesn't need to see me for another two years.
0: That's really really great. So I wanted I I thought maybe uh, sharing that news would be uh, uplifting to some folks out there, and, and especially yeah. folks that follow along with you and love your books as well. But I've been hogging the microphone, Vanessa. But you finally <laughs> yes. get to yes. ask you a question
1: absolutely it's you have my turn um so <laughs> so jeff you know we are so excited to have you here because you get to share your wealth of knowledge and your wisdom your inspiration and your love of all things, Disney. And one of those things, um, that I, I understand that is one of your favorites is great moments with Mr. Lincoln. And our, our friend, Brett, uh, took me under his wing and gave me a bit of an education about Disneyland and about that attraction. And so since we are from the land of Lincoln in central Illinois, can you tell our listeners why that is one of your favorites?
2: Well, it, it, it just amazes me. Um, The way in which the Disney parks went from the first audio animatronics attraction, which was the Tiki Room, opening June 23rd of 1963, to then a full-size audio animatronics man president with um, Abraham Lincoln the next year. Of course, not at Disneyland, but at the 1964-65 New York World's Fair. And it was Robert Moses who said, I'm not going to open the fair without this attraction. And of course, New York was home to the very uh, companies and networks and corporate sponsors that told Walt no when he was looking for support to build Disneyland in 1954, 1955. And of course, the New York World's Fair was in trouble in the early 1960s. And they were begging Walt to come out and save their fair. And he did just that with the four shows. And of course, one of those shows was Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. And uh, they bring Mr. Lincoln home, or at least the understudy home, because they ended up building two just to make sure uh, it always worked. Uh, they bring the understudy home as part of Disneyland's 10 centennial or 10-year anniversary in 1965, and uh, he's you know been performing at the Main Street Opera House ever since. And a couple of fun facts: the Opera House was the very first building ever constructed for any Disney park anywhere in the world. Not as the Opera House, but as the Lumber Mill, where the rest of the lumber was milled for building the rest of Disneyland in 1954 and 1955. And, of course, that building is home not just to great moments of Mr. Lincoln, but also the park bench that Walt was sitting on when he first dreamed of a place where parents and children could have fun together. And so Disneyland was born out of a dream or an idea. And it was Abraham Lincoln who once said, you live the life you think about. And so I think our, our, our guests, our listeners today, they, too, have an idea or a dream that they need to pursue It just takes getting up off of your park bench to see it come true. And so it all ties together, the Opera House, President Lincoln, and the park bench that Walt was sitting on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And you know, when uh I made the trip out to Disneyland with our friend Brad, he made it a requirement that I see that attraction. And, and I was oh, like, Really? Amazing. Why are why are we doing this? He's like, No, 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 <laughs> you, you have to. Yep. And so I have to share with you, since um you are the Disneyland expert, uh, my co host Craig here has never been to Disneyland. I no, know if, you I know. if you can believe that.
0: I know. It's 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 terrible. <laughs> so, it's terrible. I, but, I can leave the zoom it- now.
2: Yeah, and Vanessa, I've got to tell you, my next stop, I leave on the 13th of January, early on the morning of Super Bowl Sunday for Illinois. I'm speaking uh, to
0: Caterpillar in Peoria.
1: Ah, okay. get it
0: warmed up for me.
1: All right. No kidding. Uh, I'll tell you what,
0: if you, you, about an hour south down here in Springfield, if you needed uh, a bit of Lincoln in your life, holy moly, (laughs) we will not let you forget that Lincoln... Trotted here, <laughs> so, <laughs> I have no doubt. I have um, no doubt. It's okay. terrible okay. that I haven't been, but uh, I, I hope to get out there very shortly for sure.
2: People who love Disney, but have only been to Walt Disney World, taking folks like you, Craig, on my tour of Disneyland—that's like my favorite thing ever. So we got to get you out here. Tour's on me, dude. All right. All right. And, all and right. that's what
1: I was wondering, Jeff, if you could kind of explain. Cause I think because we are in Illinois, many of our listeners uh do only go to Walt Disney World. And you know, they just hear that Disneyland is smaller and they think, well, I can get more in Disney World, but could you kind of and Hey, I'm a believer, Disneyland, you got to go. But could you kind of explain for our listeners and Craig uh, why he needs to go to Disneyland? (laughs) I don't know that I need to
0: be convinced, but yeah, why do others need to go to Disneyland? I know I need to go. Well, first of all, it is
2: possible to get from Illinois to California. (laughs) Walt Disney did it, so I think our listeners can do it as well, starting with Craig. Um, Secondly, you have to remember, Disneyland is the only park that Walt Disney ever actually walked in. Uh, He unfortunately passed away six months before they ever broke ground in Florida. Um, Third, and I can't remember which Imagineer said this. I want to say Tony Baxter, but don't quote me on that. Um, Walt Disney World is great. And that's the first park I ever visited in August of 1974. Disneyland hugs you, Walt Disney World swallows you. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be hugged. (laughs) And when you step onto Main Street USA here in Southern California, you're literally stepping into not just a story, but a storybook. Mm. And that charm just surrounds you. And you can just feel Walt walking that orange grove and his spirit and his presence is everywhere and Disneyland packs a punch. And I know people think size matters. We're not gonna go there. I know that people think size matters. However, um, Disneyland actually, between the two parks as a resort, has more rides or attractions than the four parks at Walt Disney World in Florida. And I would argue the 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 attractions here in california side by side are better than the ones in florida Mm -hmm. so for example if you've only ever ridden pirates in florida which i think is one of the iconic if not most iconic disney park attractions in the united states if you've only ever ridden pirates in florida you haven't ever really ridden pirates because it's seven minutes long in florida It's about 14 minutes long here in California. Uh, Space Mountain is arguably, not in my book, I don't think there's any argument at all. Space Mountain is far better here in California. Um, And, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, Radiator Springs Racers is the same mechanic as Test Track. Only Radiator Springs Racers has this critical
0: element called a story.
1: Yeah. That's really
0: good. <laughs> I, I, I need to check it out for sure. And, you know, um, we have D23 coming up and we'll see yeah. what ends up happening uh, later on this year if I can get out there. But, you know, you mentioned uh, as a follow up, we talked a bit about the Wisdom of Walt books that you've put out. And of course, we want people to go and check those out. But you've mentioned that you're coming to Caterpillar and Peoria to do a uh, corporate appearance. And so I'm wondering what the takeaways are, what the experience is like going in and talking to those business leaders. Do you uh, get a sense of the reactions that they give you? And are there any particular themes from their your talks that you've seen over the years that they take away?
2: I, I love speaking. I love challenging audiences and businesses. Uh, To take what we know and love about Disney and apply it to our everyday life, whether it's professionally or whether it's personally. And so my signature keynote is how to be the hero in your own great story, which in the last year or so has really uh, evolved into how to be the hero in your own great resilient story, uh, because resiliency has been a very uh, popular theme uh, over the past 18, coming up on 24 months now. And so the idea is uh, you know, to make the decision uh, to go all in on your story, again, whether that's professional or personally. And if you think about it, Craig, we love story. Um, I, I actually did a presentation on story earlier this week. And in terms of our hierarchy of needs, As human beings, we obviously need nourishment, we need shelter, we need companionship. Number four is story. Mm. We we are wired as human beings to be storytelling machines. And so as as much as we need story, and that's what Walt Disney most wanted to be remembered for. He wanted to be remembered as a storyteller. And it's why he built the parks. He built the parks for the purpose of telling stories. Because remember, in the 1950s, we had amusement parks. But they were amusement parks that engaged us physically. They weren't parks that engaged us mentally and sparked our imaginations. They weren't parks that told stories the way that Disneyland would tell stories. And what's critical about a story isn't the happily ever after ending that we're all looking for. What a story most needs is conflict. And what's fascinating is we all want story, right? We read the books. We go to the movies. We keep going back to Disney again and again and again. We crave story, but guess what we keep running away from? Conflict. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to live a great story, if you want to up your game, either individually or corporately, you're going to have to embrace conflict. And so I keep telling people, the bigger your dragon, the better your story. All right. So one of the stories I tell is, here I am teaching my dream course, the history of Disneyland. I give the first lecture. It was awesome. And then I get diagnosed with a brain tumor. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so I had to slay that dragon. And in slaying that dragon, I end up with a much better story. I end up with the first book. I end up with a speaking career. And I'm living a much better life and a much better story as a result. You have to face the conflict.
0: You can't run away. It's a great universal message to, to pass along. But Vanessa, I think you had our next question.
1: Yes. Well, you know, I am just loving all the details and the history. You have such a, a rich knowledge of Disney history. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about Disney fans as well. I don't think you can just clump all Disney fans together and go, those Disney people. You know, they're they're very diverse. So can you kind of just talk to us about, you know, what you believe draws what you believe draws Disney fans in and, and a little bit about that diversity in Disney fans.
2: Yeah, so going back on what I was just talking about in terms of, you know, the corporate environment, um, you know, in telling those stories, um, I think first and foremost, we love Disney as a brand, but we also need to separate the brand from Disney the man. And, you know, there's a certain core element of Disney fans who love Walt. And, um, you know, we we love him as Uncle Walt. And some of us are old enough to remember him coming into our living rooms on Sunday nights um, in you know, wonderful world of color or wonderful world of Disney. And maybe we know his story and we think of him as this great entrepreneur, as this great American success story. And we know maybe the backstory, i.e. him being bankrupt at age 21 in 1923, losing Oswald, the not-so-lucky rabbit, Mm -hmm. uh, having to come up with Mickey Mouse. Again, that's a wonderful story of resiliency. Um, Fighting with his brother in the studio after the success of Mickey. Um, in terms of going all in on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and then battling through World War II and then wanting to get into the amusement park business and then ultimately um, pivoting again. We keep hearing the word pivot through COVID, right? Um, I don't know that anybody pivoted more than Walt Disney did, um, wanting to pivot into urban planning. Because again, Walt Disney World was never about Disneyland 2.0 or Magic Kingdom. It was all about Epcot and Walt wanting to do the city of the future, um, i.e. the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And so there's a certain core fandom that just loves Walt and remembers Walt from their childhood. But at the same time, speaking of childhoods, there's another group that grew up with Disney literally maybe not in their living rooms, but possibly in their bedrooms. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, they're from the Eisner and Frank Wells era. And, you know, I I, I love Frank Wells um, because Frank said an asset is only an asset unless you're willing to use it. And Frank recognized the power of taking the Disney classics out of the vault, putting them onto... VCRs. I, I hope our listeners know what a VCR is. Uh, <laughs> technology is anything invented or created after you were born, by the way. So, VCR is still amazing technology to me. Um, Frank advocated uh, taking the classics out of the vault, putting them onto VCR tapes. And so, you've got a certain group of fans that grew up with the ability to push play over and over and over and over and over again. And we did. And- <laughs> so and they did, and, and 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 so there is that that connection because you know they they were literally raised by Disney in that renaissance of of, of animation with the Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and, and 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 the Lion King, and 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 they want that for their for their kids and they're going to want that for their grandkids. And and then at the same time, you, you also have a whole nother group for whom Disneyland or Walt Disney World, it, it's not this organic, living, breathing thing that Walt talked about. It's almost a museum to their past, whether it's their childhood, their honeymoon, where they took their kids, their grandkids, what whatever the case may be. And it's just fascinating to me that, you know, this this man who was born in Chicago in 1901 and then, you know, made it to Marceline, Kansas City and then ultimate Chicago could have such amazing national and international reach because he seemingly touches everyone at some level. And every now and then I'll come across someone who, for whatever reason, hates Disney. And that's okay because loving or hating, you can still have the conversation, Mm -hmm. right? And so, uh, you you know, it's just, there's this just commonality of I love the parks or I love the movies. And sometimes the movies are the animation and whether it's the classics or the Renaissance or today, it could be Marvel movies or it could be Star Wars, whatever the case may be um but regardless Walt went from being bankrupt in 1923 to today it's the largest entertainment company anywhere in the world and i just think that's an amazing story of resilience
0: it is absolutely now we had a chance to ask you about business leaders we've talked about disney fans but if i can i want to nerd out with you about college students because as i mentioned <laughs> I'm an academic advisor by day, and I really try to instill in students this whole idea, Carol Dweck's idea of a growth mindset. Yep. Meaning that basically uh, it's an understanding of a determination that you still have the ability to grow in something. So we might not all end up being the next NBA superstar, but if you put your mind to it, you can get better at basketball. Um, and you have that kind of plasticity in your brain that you can grow in this as well. And, and that's just for those listeners out there that don't know who Carol Dweck is or growth mindset. But during your time in higher education, what were those messages that you're trying to convey to your students? Students? Because, honestly, it'll help me be better at my job if I know uh, someone like you that had that experience. Uh, what was it that you tried to convey to those college students?
2: Well, I think, first of all, um, students who are struggling, they're looking for someone who, A, understands, and and more often than not, um, it, it, it isn't their parents. And it's not that their parents are doing anything wrong. It's just their parents are probably a little too close and then B, someone who understands and can provide some sort of olive branch of hope and, and hope usually comes in the form of, um, Hey, I, you're, you're, you're doing it this way, but what if we looked at it that way? And, and, and a couple of examples of that. Um, and I, I write about this in the first book, um I, I'm always fascinated with students who are undeclared and I don't know Craig if you ever experienced this but you know a student who is in their first semester as a freshman and they're quote-unquote undeclared um they, they feel like you know they, they're branded they feel like they're behind uh they feel like there's something wrong with them because their friends their peers their roommates. They got it all figured out. They they know what they're going to be when they grow up. You know, they're on this pathway to 40-year career, gold watch, retirement, the whole bit, right? Um, and that doesn't even exist today, regardless. And, you know, I, I I set those students down and I said, look, here's the deal. Um, a large percentage of students, somewhere between 60 and 70 percent, during college change their major at least once. Mm-hmm meaning almost everyone here is undeclared you know it they don't you're actually ahead so you know so so you you, you don't need to figure out that you're behind and then um you know, I always manage to find a way to work Walt into the conversation. I know that's a shocker,
0: but I find a way to work Walt. <laughs> it into the- really is. It's blowing me away here. <laughs> I know.
2: And I, I talk about how, you know, he started out as a newspaper delivery boy and then an ambulance driver at the end of World War I and then works as a jelly factory. And, um, you know, he thinks he wants to be an artist and then an animator and then, you know, becomes a, a you know, cartoonist and movie producer and then runs an amusement park and by the end of his day gets into urban planning i mean nobody was more undeclared than walt disney (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) and never got past ninth grade in terms of formal education but i think he did okay and and then I, i i ended with what would you be willing to read 500 books on which is scary to almost anybody, but especially to today's college students because they think they have to go read 500 books. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you to read 500 books, but in theory, what would you be willing to read 500 books in? Because in the past 25 years, I have managed to read 500 books on Walt Disney, Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and now the other parks as well because I'm working on the worldwide wisdom of Walt. Um, plus leadership success personal and professional development and if you can answer the question of what would you at least be willing to read 500 books on chances are that's your passion that's what you need to be pursuing and that might be where you need to be looking for a potential major.
0: That's all so great. And you know, I'm going to clip that and make every <laughs> uh, college freshman, I actually taught a first year seminar this year. And it's a, it's those discussions about how when you're coming out of high school, you think that everything uh, revolves around a linear path or a terminal path. Like you have to go to this particular major so you can get this particular job. And the world just doesn't work that way. So if we have young listeners out there, just know yeah. that uh, first of all, you've got some advice you can have people you can come to but also that that it's it you know your path is going to be your path and it's your journey and those are going to change throughout your lifetime as well i mean look at look at jeff he just talked about the idea that he's left a 21 year career in higher education and now you're forging your own path in this online learning in corporate speaking in writing books and you're still going like you said it's just the start uh of this journey so that's all wonderful and thanks for that bit of motivation but uh vanessa
1: the two of you and I was a yeah.
0: freshman. Let me tell you, I well,
1: needed you, know, you and where
0: were you? and Vanessa, I've
2: had people say when they found out about the college course, they're like, Where was that class when I was in college? But you <laughs> yeah. know, I've also had people say when they find out what I do, they're like, Well, well, how how, how did you get that job? Um, you don't apply for it, you, you create it, and you create it by pursuing your passions. And I get that can be frustrating to people because they don't even know what their passions are. And the best way to figure that out is, again, by starting with the question, what would you be willing to read 500 books on? And again, if you're not a reader, okay, well, what would you be willing to watch 500 YouTube videos on, right? There's a lot of different ways to consume content in 2022.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Advice. Now, Craig got to geek out with you about college students. And I want to geek out with you a little bit about business because uh, I am an MBA student. So when you mentioned Frank Wells saying assets, uh, they're only assets if you're using them. And I'm like, actually, that's ex- that's exactly the definition inside <laughs> my, my book right now, my accounting <laughs> book. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Disney's business model, because it's, it is very fascinating that Walt set a standard and a level of service and of excellence that guests and audiences we've, we've really come to expect. It's we, we want that little extra Disney magic. In fact, that's what you see people writing about uh, on Facebook all the time is their yeah. extra magic moments, but it's not exactly um, something that necessarily would create capital would, would create a uh, revenue. It, it's an interesting business model because sometimes it, it takes more time more revenue to make that guest experience um and it's not always generating my i mean i i think you can argue it does but i just kind of wanted to get your thought on this because you've studied this company for so so long and, and could you talk to us about how unique um disney is and their mission and their business model
2: yeah um you know first of all you know when i sat down to write the wisdom of walt um i i had to make a challenging decision and that is There are lots of Disneyland history books out there, and I didn't want to, like, add to that space, per se. Um, There's lots of great Disney business books out there, and I really felt as though I didn't necessarily have anything to add into that space either. And so I really took a unique approach, and that was I was going to tell Walt's story, stories from the parks, my story. And hope that all of that connected to your story, either as an individual or as a business leader, entrepreneur, whatever the case may be. And I've been very fortunate because um, that connected, and I think it's what separated the wisdom of Walt from a lot of what's out there. Having said all of that, Disney, um, and, and Walt was very specific about this, he recognized in 1955 that a wave or sea of change was coming to the United States and that wave or sea of change was standardization. And again, I'm going to sort of geek out on my um, history professor in this, if you will.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, if you put this into context, 1955 is three years before the Eisenhower interstate system is going to come to fruition. But with that transformation and then eventually the standardization of air travel, um, we're going to get hyperconnected, and as a, resi- as a result of that hyperconnectivity, we're going to have the opportunity and eventually the expectation of what we experience here. We should then be able to experience there as well. And what's fascinating to me is, and I don't know how many people know this, but Walt and Ray Kroc served together in the same ambulance unit at the end of World War I. And while Ray Kroc was still selling milkshake machines out of the back of his automobile in 1955, Walt is opening Disneyland. But if you think about McDonald's, McDonald's became the gold standard for standardization in the fast food industry across the United States in the late 1950s and beyond. Well, Walt could see this coming. And when it came to establishing standards in the service industry, and again, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is simple. Mm. And what Walt said was, I don't want our guests to receive the crappy service that I've received everywhere else in my travels across this nation. It's not that hard, and he was creating the happiest place on earth, and so when he hired Van Arsdale france to be his training director, he didn't micromanage. He gave Van Arsdale france one directive. This is going to be the happiest place on earth. Please, for the love of God and all things holy, hire happy people, and if you think about it, you can train for aptitude You can't train for attitude. And as a result, you know, Walt was just relentless when it came to making sure that the training was standardized because he could see again, that wave of change coming and making sure that the cast members had the the right attitude, the right attitude, the right attitude, the right attitude, the right attitude. And at the end of the day, the money would follow and he was right.
0: Absolutely. And you know, uh, we could probably talk about the current leadership of the Walt Disney Company uh, for days. uh, And but this is a family show. So we want to make sure that it's all kept (laughs) civil. I I think that most of us as fans think that there might be something uh, missing in the current leadership. And I wanted to know if you're willing to ask talk about that. Do you agree with that? Uh, And if so, do you think you know kind of what's missing there? So
2: I I get the frustration and I know um, whenever there is a major change at the top, there are always doubts and concerns and questions. Um, I will go on to say, so let me just back up for a little bit. Um, I think Michael Eisner doesn't get enough credit for leading Disney through the so-called Disney decade. We forget that Disney would have been bought out by uh, corporate raiders and broken up into a million pieces if it were not for Michael Eisner. Now, having said all of that, Frank Wells kept Michael Eisner in check, and enough hasn't been written about Michael and Frank's partnership, i.e., Walton Roy. Um, you know, people don't realize the difference between the Disney Brothers Studio, which today is the largest entertainment company in the world, and Laffergram Studio, which went bankrupt in 18 months the difference wasn't Walt Disney, the difference was Roy Disney. And Frank was sort of Michael Eisner's Roy, if you will. And what really changed was Frank Wells being killed in that helicopter crash on Easter Sunday in 1994. Um, And the trajectory of everything changed when Frank was killed. Um, Having said all of that, eisner deserves way more credit than he has ever received for turning the fortunes of that company around both in terms of the parks and of course uh animation and granted katzenberg deserves a lot of credit for that too and i don't understand why in the world eisner ever got into the fight with katzenberg that he did um but again that's a conversation for an entirely different show um I like what Bob Iger did, quite frankly. Um, I love that he bought Pixar. I have no problem with him buying Marvel. I have no problem with him buying Lucas um, Films. And everybody wants to go, oh, it's not Disney. Can somebody please tell me what is Disney? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, Disney's been buying other IP and using other IP from day one. I mean, Snow White belongs to Disney. Pinocchio belongs to Disney. Peter Pan belongs to Disney, Winnie the Pooh belongs to Disney, give me a break. Um, They've been using and borrowing other ideas and other IP from the very beginning. Um, What they've done with Marvel has been amazing. Uh, The deal with Pixar absolutely had to happen. Uh, Remember when Steve Jobs died in 2011, he was the largest Disney stockholder on the planet at the time. Um and so again, I have I I I think Iger uh did a, a, an amazing job. If you have not read Ride of a Lifetime, do yourself a favor. I haven't recommended my own book. I am recommending Ride of a Lifetime. Wonderful, wonderful book. <laughs> and um as far as Bob Chypek, i I get the concerns. I do. But at the same time, um these are not normal times. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Things are always going to change. And I, I, you know, the last three times I've been to Disneyland, I've been with individuals who want to whine moan and complain about all of the changes about all of the prices about genie plus. And, And my whole thing is like, you're at the happiest place on earth. It's not like the you know uh, Spanish Inquisition, <laughs> you know? right. you know, you, 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 you bought the top tier pass, and 20 bucks for Genie Plus is going to ruin your day. Give it a
0: rest already. Yes. Absolutely, you know, and I I want to be positive, and I I don't mean to dwell on uh, some of the frustrations that are going on, and I completely understand what you're but saying. It's part of the too. narrative, and it
2: is a it is question. it's
0: part of that story, right? And so, I guess what I'd like to say as a uh, let's end that on a positive. This current leadership discussion is there an example of uh, maybe an individual or someone uh, in that core leadership team that you're like, you know what? I think that this person does get it and does understand that uh, the virtues of Walt as someone that they can kind of look to that wisdom. I think
2: think D'Amato gets it. I think he's out and I might not be pronouncing his his name correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't share a lot of traits with Walt, but Walt had trouble pronouncing words and names and I have trouble pronouncing words and names. Um, So forgive me for that. Yeah, Uh, no worries. But uh, D'Amato is out in the parks almost every day. He is engaging with guests. He is engaging with cast members. He's shooting positive, upbeat, motivational videos, and he gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I I I I get the concern about um, the cost cutting, but you also have to remember, since about 1940, Disney has been a publicly traded stock company. And they have to answer to Wall Street as much as they have to answer to Main Street. And when I say Main Street, it means everyday folks to include those of us who are literally standing on Main Street USA.
0: Absolutely. Fair point. Vanessa, as we start to wrap this thing up, because this hour has flown by, but has, you have some rapid fires for us, right?
1: We can't let you go without finding these out. These are, these are the questions we really got to get down to. <laughs> and this is what we call our rapid fire, which just means you can answer them as short or as long as you'd like. That's up to you. But here we go. What's your favorite Disney movie?
2: Oh, favorite Disney movie. Um, in terms of the classics, I'm a sucker for Dumbo.
0: Awesome. Right. Love that. I've got
2: big ears myself. And I also uh, believe that everybody needs Dumbo's Feather and doesn't at the same time.
1: Right. Favorite Disney park? Uh,
2: Disneyland. Okay. Had to, right? I, 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 I said it
1: and Ooh, then as I shocker. said it I thought I already knew what you were going to well, What about your favorite attraction?
2: So I write in the first book that it's the park bench, because, again, I genuinely believe we all have an idea that maybe not will change the world, but will at least change our world. So please get up off your park bench and start taking action. Um, But truthfully, my favorite Disney attraction is Space Mountain. Um, and And I don't mean that to I don't necessarily think it's Disney's best attraction. But every time I am on Space Mountain at Disneyland, that's when I know I'm home and I'm at the happiest place on earth.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Favorite Disney restaurant?
2: Blue Bayou, Pirates of the Caribbean. And those of you at World, you have no idea what I'm talking about, (laughs) which is another example for why Disneyland is better. Yeah, I, I thought you
1: might go that route. And then one final one, what's your favorite Disney snack? We all have our favorites in the park. What's the one you go to?
2: uh the mickey bar
1: excellent and, and, it, mickey bars.
2: and as much as i hate heat and humidity they're better in florida because of the heat and humidity
1: okay oh okay you no know,
2: bad well and i did i did an event for nestle and i confirmed this with them they're better in florida because of the heat and humidity they melt faster and as a result they're creamier
1: Oh, okay.
2: It tastes better.
1: Science behind it. I love that. Very cool.
2: I'm uh, on social media as much for my love of ice cream as I am for my love of Disney.
0: I'd say I uh, I see that in my defense uh, quite a bit. And then yep, I see yep, lots yep. of ice cream in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Now, I do have a question. Now, Brett's not here today to defend his position. Uh, but Vanessa and Brett do go back and forth on our show quite a bit if the turkey leg is a legitimate snack in uh, the Disney parks. So I wanted to get your opinion. Are you okay with the turkey leg being in the parks? Uh-uh. Okay. I've had
2: the turkey leg, I've had a bite of a turkey leg one time. <laughs> it 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 does nothing for me. Okay. But okay. like but having said that, I don't I don't think that they need to get rid of it. I mean, I think <laughs> a very open and diverse person. So I'm gonna go Seinfeld here. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing um, wrong with just, that. It's just nothing for it. Just it's, it's just not for not me. For
1: you. That's everybody okay. who's
2: in line for a turkey leg isn't in line for my Mickey bar. So. There, you, there go.
0: you go. That's yeah. very true. That's very true. So Jeff, this has been uh, really fun getting to talk to you about uh, your books and your online class. I want to make sure that you let people know where to go to get your books, to read those. Uh, yep. You said you weren't going to recommend your book. I'm recommending <laughs> your books, So check that out. And then also if they want to look into uh, taking your Disneyland class online now, where those might be. And then I have one final question after you're done with that.
2: Absolutely. So you can find me at thewisdomofwalt.com. and the best thing to do is to sign up for our blog our newsletter that's where you're going to get updates about future history of disneyland class opportunities plus any other content new books that are going to be coming out and then if you just want the books you can go to amazon they're readily available there um you can also reach out to me on social media and i can you know personally sign and ship books directly to you and you can find me on facebook as jeff barnes the wisdom of walt um you can also find me on instagram as dr disneyland but again the best way is the wisdom of uh, there's a contact form there there's an email sign up list and uh, i love interacting
0: uh with fans guests and uh, would be happy to hear from you Excellent. That's so great. Now, our last question that we love to ask creative people that we get to talk to is you have done lots of podcasts. That's how I actually learned of you originally. And you're getting asked all these interview questions. You talk to people at corporate events, but I want to know what we miss. What is it that uh, you are not usually asked about or a story that you're not usually able to share? And if there's something you can think of that you'd like to share with us as we close out.
2: Well, you guys did a fantastic job. Um, You packed a punch, just like Disneyland does, in the hour that we've had together. Um, So you didn't ask, like, you know, well, well, how did you get into all of this? And like I said, my first visit to a Disney park was Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom way back in August of 1974. Interestingly enough, my first visit to Disneyland was in August of 1988. And I actually hated it. The park was too hot, it was too crowded, and my very first Disneyland attraction was Star Tours, uh, which had opened in January of 1987, and even though I had never been to Disneyland, based on my experiences at Magic Kingdom, I knew where Tomorrowland was, and so I walked into Tomorrowland, asked a cast member, hey, where's Star Tours, and she said to me, well, the good news is, you're in the right place for the ride wrong place for the line and she then pointed me back to the end of main street and it took three hours holy moly experience my first disneyland ride and by the time we got off of that attraction um it was hot because it's august in southern california the park is crowded and by the end of that day if you had said to me i would end up doing what i'm doing today i would have said you are absolutely nuts (laughs) again that's an example of how conflict can change our story and change our story for the better Uh, because it forced me um, to figure out well what is it about this park that I hate and everyone here in California loves and that's when I discovered the story behind Walt uh, the story of the failures the story of the resiliency And it's that story that I fell in love with. If I had gotten on Star Tours in five minutes, none of this would have ever happened. So again, what you think is a failure, more often than not, propels you and moves you forward into the story that you should actually be living.
0: What a great message to end out on. Jeff, this has just been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. And thank you for that art and creativity you're putting into the world. We really do appreciate it. It helps us feel connected to Walt and to the parks when we're not able to be, especially when I'm looking out my window at like three feet of snow right now. So when we're (laughs) recording this, so thanks so much. Well, thank you.
2: And um, we're going to see you at Disneyland and I can't wait to get you on a
0: tour, Craig. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. All righty. What a great conversation, nice and motivational. He does such a good job of getting his point and then bringing it full circle and kind of you can understand those themes that he brings when he's talking about his books to other people or he's doing his online class. I just had a really a lot of fun. I learned a lot today too, right Vanessa?
1: Yeah, totally. You know, it's so fun talking to him because he's really serving two purposes for me. I am not always great with the Disney historical details again like I said I need a Bretton Craig to kind of guide me along, but it was so great to learn about the history of Disney and then, at the end, he like won two punches with like this great life lesson that makes you go, Yeah, yeah, like I can do it i I love talking to people who make you feel uplifted, so I just really enjoyed talking to him a lot today,
0: yeah, and we got into a ton of different topics i'm glad that we kind of took it like. Uh, from, and and this wasn't even necessarily, we had scripted some of these questions, but I feel like you and I were coming up with them because he was kind of explaining what he's doing. And it's like, I wanted to look at different constituencies of people. So let's talk about business. Let's talk about Disney fans. Let's talk about college kids. And it was just great to get his insights into that because he's had experiences in all of those realms.
1: Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I'm not kidding. I like died when he said that Frank Wells said that an asset is only an asset. If you're, if you're using it essentially. And and that is the definition. Like, I'm not kidding you. I just learned that. And it's so exciting to see how something that I'm learning in a book that seems so minuscule, it was used by these leaders of Disney and and the fact that Jeff knows about that and was able also to provide his insight into what makes Disney so special I mean, I couldn't ask for a better conversation. I, hopefully I can use, maybe I can use him as a, a, a resource if I have to write a paper at some point in my college career here.
0: We've been talking about a lot of books. And of course, we want you to go get Wisdom of Walt, uh, the, the books that Jeff has out. And you can find those on his website, as he mentioned. And he mentioned Bob Iger's book. But now that you're in your MBA program, Vanessa, have you read or listened to Disney War about the Eisner years?
1: You know- what? I haven't yet. I've, it's I. It's so good. You got to yeah, get that on I, Audible.
0: Get Use that Audible so credit. Right.
1: I just bought a couple more credits. So I will definitely use that on that because you, you're so right. And, and at the end of the semester, I am going to have to start looking at some businesses to kind of use what I've learned and apply it. And my first thought was, well, I'm just gonna learn more about Disney because why not? And so, yes, you are so right. That's such a great suggestion
0: we all know that I read at a snail's pace. So I definitely listened to that book and it was incredible to hear the corporate culture of the company and then kind of the falling out that Michael Eisner had, you know, Jeff mentioned, he's probably not given enough credit for the Disney decade. And I think that's a lot of the, because of how he left the company and the whole Roy Disney conflict that they had and everything else at Pixar and how he kind of didn't necessarily think that Pixar would, be a good partnership or acquisition. Clearly, that was not necessarily the case as we look at all these amazing Pixar properties and films that we have moving forward. So it, totally a good read. So yes, now we're recommending all these books. And I think I've talked about Disney War on this podcast before, but definitely check out uh, Wisdom of Walt and get all of that information that Jeff can give you too. And if you're really interested, go and take that Disneyland class and we can see what it is about and uh, report back to us for sure. I might I might need to check it out at some point but I think I probably need to go visit Disneyland first to appreciate it right
1: yeah you you probably need to do that soon Craig because uh, I know I know been I know I need on to get you for there awfully long time and you just haven't taken the hint no
0: okay so <laughs> I will say that like two years of that have been a global pandemic but <laughs> yes you're right I do need to get out to Disneyland for sure yeah. and now apparently I can just call up Jeff and maybe I can get a tour out of it while I'm out there yeah. too so This is just all wonderful stuff. So yeah, so go and and check out all of his uh, books and everything else. And thank you so much, Jeff, in case you're listening back. We really do appreciate what you're doing to kind of spread that history of Disney, but then also make it so applicable to today. I think that that's really cool that, that you can have that thread yes, he's talking about Disney history, but, you know, he's making it so relevant to the decisions we're making in our own lives and yeah. kind of moving forward, which is why I love the, the work that he's doing for sure. Any final thoughts before we close up, Vanessa?
1: I am just so excited that we had a chance to talk to Jeff. And like I said, I'm feeling so inspired and I uh, hope to stop picking on you in the near future.
0: You're never going to stop picking on me. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. (laughs) But uh, this has been great. We hope to have Brett back with us again next week. We will see if that happens. Maybe he's in Disney World or something already again. Actually, you know what? If schedule is correct and schedule can change, maybe I'll edit it out if it does. But I believe next week it's going to be just Brett talking about his preparations for the star cruiser the halcyon that he's going on with his group of five uh merry travelers going into outer space uh coming up in march coming up right around the corner so you get to learn a bit about their preparation and what they're doing to get all ready for that as well so i guess maybe they won't hear us next week vanessa
1: no they won't they'll be in a galaxy far far away
0: that's just such a shame so I, I, guess, uh, I guess you'll see us a- again soon. Maybe you'll hear us soon. I don't know. But anyway, for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig.
1: I'm Vanessa.
0: And we will see you real soon. Hopefully.
1: Hopefully.